Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> and we have nothing to say. Oh, that's correct. correct. Sure we do. Really? We have nothing to say because we lead dull, boring lives. Yeah, nobody wants to hear about my kids or what, what shit I have to do for them. sport they're playing. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. I don't I even talk care. talk about my dog. Bella, she's so cute. Nobody wants to hear that either. Yes, they do. People always want to hear about your dogs, mm. not your kids. Okay. So I'm starting. So yeah. start. So obviously we have to preface that I know completely. I am. I think people I know got nothing. that. I know nothing. Yeah. They know that by now. Okay. Well, if you're just listening, I know nothing. If you're just tuning in for the first time to this episode, Meredith knows nothing. <laughs> So Beatrice Ingram was born in 1952 and grew up in Queens, New York. When she was a teen, she met and fell in love with John Murray, a neighborhood ah! boy. We I knew know. John. Oh, rest in peace, oh, John died, Murray. Though. Yeah. Okay. The two quickly got involved in crimes and drugs, and they ended up breaking up uh, before 1977 because in 1977, John Murray got convicted of two murders and went to prison. Ooh. Now, those two murders he committed with a different girl, so his girlfriend at the time. And in the newspapers, they were called Bonnie and Clyde. So they basically robbed two stores and murdered the clerks in the course of those robberies. The store clerks. Nice. Um, Jesus. Beatrice was then in her 20s, and she got married to another man and had three children. So after her children were grown and had moved out of the house, they divorced. So Beatrice was still having a little problem with drugs that she had when she was in her teens with John. Okay. And she entered a treatment program in like 2001, 2002. So one night in 2002, Beatrice called a local taxi company for a ride from the Peekskill train station to her apartment in White Plains, New York. And Terry Camper answered the call. So Terry Camper was born in Mississippi in 1959. At around five years old, he and his family moved to near Peekskill, New York, for his father's job. So he graduated from high school in 1978, and he started his own taxi company. Okay. So back to Beatrice and Terry. On the first taxi ride to Beatrice's apartment... She opened up to Terry, because it's a decent drive, Peak Skills, White Plains. She yeah. opened up to Terry about her trouble with drugs and that she was completing a drug treatment program. And Beatrice and Terry became friends. And he became an important source of support for her. And he would pick her up and drive her around frequently. So the two took their friendship to romance. And in 2002, they got married. Oh, Okay. At this point, Terry's taxi business was very successful. He was basically a local celebrity. He was very outgoing and well-known. And he was just like a fixture in the local area. You know, like trying to think of growing up, that, that guy at Characters Bar or whatever. Right. You know, like right, somebody, right. somebody that, everybody, that just, just somebody that knows. everybody knew. Right. And a lot of them, so most, a, a lot of these guys drove a cab, like Deluxe or right. Bluebird or whatever. Right. Yep. 6320909. Red Fox. Remember Red Fox? Oh, you only called that one if you couldn't get the other two. <laughs> right. So most of the time, 
Beatrice would ride along with Terry as he did his day picking up taxi fares. When she didn't ride along with him, he sometimes had other friends ride with him. And this is what happened on October 3rd, 2012. Terry had a friend riding along with him when he got a call for a pickup on Pine Street. Terry dropped his ride-along friend off and then went to pick up his fare. Later that day, a postal worker noticed the car that Terry would drive as his taxi parked on Pine Street facing the wrong way. So the postal worker went to check it out and mm-hmm. he saw that the driver wasn't moving, so he called 911. The first responders knew Terry and thought maybe he had had a heart attack. He was a pretty big guy. Not that that, well, yeah, more for, yeah. more. that's what you would think. Yes. When they tried to check him for signs of life, they checked his pulse and they had blood on their hands, and then they saw that he had been shot in the back of the head twice. Ooh. When they... They took him to the hospital. He was pronounced dead. And when they told Beatrice, she was hysterical and crying about losing her soulmate. So she was very distraught. The police thought that the motive was robbery. Right. His wallet was, was empty. Well, it was also like execution style. Like well, to me, it was like someone getting in the cab and just shoot. Yeah. Shooting right. Him. Right. His wallet was empty and his cell phone was missing. Also, cab drivers are giving cash tips, so it's not... You, you could be a target easily because you're going to have some cash on you. Oh, uh, cab drivers, 100% are, are targets, yeah. The police also found shell casings in the car, and, well, they needed to find out who his last fare was. So who, obviously, was the last person he picked up. They used the GPS tracker in Terry's cell phone to locate that phone. And it was over the Bear Mountain Bridge about an hour away. So from Peekskill on the way to Newburgh, over Mm. the Bear Mountain Bridge. Okay, right. They just found it on the side of the road, just tossed out of a car. When they analyzed the phone, they saw that the last call received was from a burner phone. So they called the burner phone company and they gave the investigators a phone number that the burner phone had called multiple times. So then they looked into who that was and they found the woman and she identified the owner of the burner phone as John Murray. Mm. So now we know that John Murray called Terry for the taxi ride from Pine Street, but we're not sure why, right? Right. So a little more on John Murray. He had been granted parole for those, those murders in late 2011 and we're in 2012 now so he hasn't been out for that long he was living in Newburgh which is over the Bear Mountain Bridge from Peekskill with his wife and his wife was a minister who he met while she was visiting the prison and they got married while he was still in prison the police also got surveillance video from the Bear Mountain Bridge that showed John driving over the bridge towards Peekskill at around 1 p.m. and then returning back over the bridge at around 2 p.m. John did? Yes. So why is he calling for a ride if he's... Well, he he drove to Peekskill, parked his car, called Terry so that he could... That's weird to me. I, I could be missing something, but I'm just saying what... If he has a vehicle, what need does he have to call a cab? Well, he's possibly specifically targeting terry that's what i'm saying (laughs) 
That's what I was getting at. Yes. Like, there's a reason why. If you have a vehicle and you have a car, why are you calling a cab? So there's got to be a reason why. Right. So the police bring John in for questioning, naturally. And John's denying any involvement. He's not talking. But during a search of Beatrice and Terry's home, the police found numerous letters from John to Beatrice. Mm. So during her questioning... What kind of letters? We'll find out. During her questioning and faced with some pretty good evidence that she was still in touch with John, Beatrice is now going to talk. She told the police that she reconnected with John at a fair. The prisoners, I guess, as like a day trip or whatever, are taken out and they went to this local fair and she was there and they reconnected. But that was in 2002, so 10 years ago. So right around the time that she married Terry, she's also reconnected with John. So they started talking on the phone periodically and writing letters to each other. And then it got pretty sexual. And basically, it was like a long distance affair. Mm. Like a sexting, but with letters. (laughs) Correct. Okay. The police looked back at the prison visitor log And Beatrice had visited John numerous times over the last year before his release. Conjugal visits? No. Okay. She said that the murder was John's idea. The police listened to hundreds of hours of their recorded prison phone calls, which amazes me that people don't realize, or I don't know what, they're so stupid. You're being recorded. You're in prison. (laughs) Well, don't... They're not the sharpest tools in the shit. Right, right, right. Jesus Christ. It's like so many cases where they they could play all the freaking... I'm like, even the Tiger King yapping on the phone from prison. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Friggin' idiot. Be quiet. Uh, Anyway. Cut your hair. (laughs) She... So they find one phone call where John is instructing Beatrice to increase Terry's life insurance. And she did. And then the next phone call, John's asking her, did you do it? And she assures him that she did. So that doesn't look great. She says later that she got the life insurance because Terry had cancer. I couldn't find confirmation that he had cancer anywhere. But I mean, it seems irrelevant at this point. So then she said on the day of the murder, she called John on the burner phone and told him where Terry would be working that day. So then John knew where to be to call a taxi to know that it was going to be Terry that was going to come. Right. At trial, John said, and this is his defense, that he broke off the affair with Beatrice and that she was obsessed with him. And he claimed that Beatrice orchestrated the whole thing to frame him as payback for ending the affair. Seems Mm. ridiculous. Just go tell his wife. I I say that's payback. No, I say bullshit. Plus, you know, he's in jail. What other options does he have? He's not going to end anything. Well, he got out, right? So I guess is he saying that the affair ended before he got out? No, he's saying that over the he was he had been released for 11 months before the murder. So during those 11 months, he stopped the affair. Right. And she right. Went stopped cuckoo. the affair. Yeah. How convenient. I don't think so. Right. And on, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, neither one of them are credible 
because no, they're they're both both losers. Shit. Yeah, because she's sitting there having an affair. Yes, she has a history with drugs. It doesn't make her a, a bad person, but she is still having an affair, which means your credibility oh, goes out the her. window. It doesn't well, no, yeah, but, but it doesn't make her a bad person either. But no, the but murder kind of makes you bad. What I'm saying is, when it is discovered that you had an affair in a case like this, your credibility goes out the window because people say, "Well, you're a liar. You were cheating on him. Right? You've been lying. Yeah, You've been lying. Exactly. So now we don't believe anything you say. That's why when you people try to defame the other person, right? Because mm-hmm. they try to find whatever they can find on that person, an affair, something to make them look bad. So she's not looking good either. So he's blaming her. He's blaming her. She's blaming him. But Beatrice did accept a plea deal. So she's going to testify against John, right? Because he's the big fish. That He's the one they want. She said that they had been planning this for a long time and then they did it for the life insurance, which you want to guess how much? I was just going to say how much. I'm going to say, I was going to say 50,000. <laughs> Close. 100,000. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Which I was, was going to is... say 50. Um, maybe no. it was 50 and she upped it to 100,000. Well, it was two, it was two policies. So maybe they're each 50. Maybe you are right. Double, double right. I'm always right. Which seems absurd. Yeah, but, but to be I mean, quite no honest, amount seems good, but I could see doing it for like yes, 3 million. But, right. 50,000 to some people is life changing. Right. Well, they did it for 100,000 so that they could go run away together and start right. a new and, life. Right. For what? Two months? <laughs> it's going to be gone. I mean, then what do you do? So but stupid. okay. I digress. Move on. Again. Love makes you do stupid things. So John was found guilty, shockingly, and sentenced to life without parole. And the Westchester County District Attorney, Janet D. Fiore, at the sentencing, she said, the conviction and sentencing reflects the third separate and unrelated murder that this defendant has committed during his lifetime. Right. He has spent virtually his whole adult life in prison. By his past actions and his actions in this case, John Murray has shown that his punishment must be permanent and he should be removed from society for the rest of his life. The sentence handed down by the court today of life in prison without the possibilities of parole will now hold him accountable for his behavior. Hmm. The guy has been murdering his whole life. Yeah, he's got to go. So how much do you think Beatrice was sentenced to? Because hmm. she took a plea, She's right? accomplice. She took a plea. Five years. Three to five. Fifteen to life. Fifteen to life. Okay. John is obviously still in prison because he's for life. He's at Attica. 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 I gave a pause there because I knew that was coming. <laughs> and... And Beatrice is at Bedford Hills, and she is not eligible for parole until 2027, when she will be 75 years old. Hmm. Now, you could give me thoughts on that case, because I have more to say about something else. Okay. My thoughts are, it's a pretty straightforward case, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
um, and people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a straightforward case. Well, the two of them will never change, right? It's not I like... I think she got almost... Well, first of all, John Murray is very handsome. Well, I don't I mean, I'm not, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to say very handsome. Compared to Terry, who's lovely, but extremely overweight, but probably had a great personality and super like everybody loved him, to John, who's spent time in prison and had nothing else to do probably but exercise and work on himself, because what the hell else is he doing? He can't, He looks very handsome. So that coupled with the oh nostalgia of young coupled with his personality kind of dominating her I think this would not have happened had he not been in the picture right I think she was led by him I'm actually looking at a picture yes Terry was very heavy right did you look at John yes he uh I'm just seeing kind of like a mug shot right and uh yeah he's a he's a handsome man he's a good looking guy yeah i'm not sure what why he bothered because he obviously didn't love her if he quickly threw her under the bus well i does somebody like that even know what love is i mean think about it the guy's basically well that's what i mean like why did he target well because he obviously thought that he wasn't going to get caught once he got caught he threw her under the bus well let me button it up here so as much as I wish that that was the end of it for the Camper family, before John's sentencing, Terry's sister, Junko, was supposed to give a victim impact statement. And she had been through the whole process, vocal in the news, and she's quoted as saying, it is hard to maintain our composure, yes, but we are going to see this through. So anyway, that's just like during the trial, she said. Okay. So just days before she was to give her official victim impact statement at his sentencing, she was murdered. What? Mm-hmm. So Junko's husband, Leonard, stabbed her, I think, four times in the torso, piercing her heart, then left her there bleeding. He ran past police, who had been called by a neighbor who heard a commotion. He jumped in his car and fled the state. He was caught after he crashed his car in Irvington, New Jersey. He had past convictions for felony robbery and theft and like drug and assault cases. So his excuse was post-traumatic stress disorder and substance abuse problems due to an abusive childhood, time in the military, and a sexual assault he suffered while serving in the military. Okay. He pled guilty and accepted a plea of 18 years to life. So do we think that that's the no, reason? No, I thought you were going to break into song. 18 and life, you got it. 18 and okay, life, thank you, you know. So You're at his sentencing, coming. he said to Junko's family, I'm really sorry, you know. I really apologize. I can't bring her back. I have to take medicine just so I don't dream about that day. I loved my wife probably more than you love yours if you've got one. Yeah, I don't think so. So... He also blamed Junko for her own injuries, claiming that she pulled on the knife. Saying, why would I intentionally kill my wife? And the judge says, why did you commit all your crimes? Because you have a criminal mentality. Right. So he was sentenced 18 to life. Do we think, do we believe, uh, I shouldn't say we, but do you believe that that's why 
he killed her? Is it just a coincidence or did he kill her because she was going to testify and... I think it's just a bad black cloud over them that just, I, I don't think he had any benefit to not having her testify that I saw. Right. That, you know, obviously I don't oh know God. the facts of everything because. What a disastrous family, huh? I know. I feel terrible, but. Um, yeah. So that was the case for this week. Okay. So pretty, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward case, although that little tiny little twist in the end I was not expecting that I also expected that maybe the reason why she was killed was because she was testifying but it it doesn't really look like that no and she was just doing a victim impact statement she wasn't really testifying to anything okay so okay yeah it would have just maybe swayed the judge to give him the sentence that he was probably going to give him anyway so that's basically now she and her brother are both dead right so in two weeks it is a listener recommendation. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What is it? I'm not telling you. Don't tell me. <laughs> okay. So that's that. We'll see you guys in... Well, we won't see anybody because we can't see through microphones. But we'll talk at you <laughs> in two weeks. When you're listening to nefarious new york